swing and a fly ball pretty well hit left field. Conine towards the corner. Conine towards the wall. Leaping and he got it. What a grab by Jeff Conine. Conine swings in the first pitch. High fly ball left field. Deep. It's up. Up and away. A home run for Jeff Conine. Some icing on the cake in the eighth inning. In right field. There's a ball hit by Jeff Conine. Past the diving Eric Carroll in the right field. Here as they start the bottom of the eighth inning off with Jeff Conine, who just ought to retire. He's four for four today. Just forget it. He's retired. He's in the Marlins Hall of Fame. Outside the box with Jeff Conine. Today is August 17th, and we're going to talk some awards. Finally, we've been talking about it. I'm excited to get what your take is. We're going blind in here. I showed you, you know, what awards I want to talk about, but we don't know who we're going to crown them to down the final quarter of the season here. It's going to be a fun episode, and uh, I'm excited to see what you got here for your awards. Everything besides AL MVP, because there's not much debate there. Yeah, Shohei Otani, uh, you can't really dispute what he's done this year. It's kind of a historical season. And uh, to have anybody else in that conversation, we, we had Vlad Jr. in there early on just because he was a serious uh, triple crown threat or triple crown winner, possibly. But he's fallen off on a couple of those categories, so that's probably not going to happen. But uh, Shohei Otani, what he's doing uh, is truly remarkable on both sides of the ball. It's just uh, just hand it to him now. Let's yeah. Just give it to him yeah. Save the time. Give it to him now. We, we don't even have to worry about it. There's not much suspense there. He, he could really stop playing right now. And I think he, <laughs> he get it right. I mean, so that's the one award we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over, but everything else is, is pretty close. I think it's going to come down to the wire, which I like. And uh, it seems like there's a lot more intrigue in baseball with, with the awards this year, given how many different players have either emerged or superstars that have kind of recaptured their form. I, I like all the storylines there and then some other teams that have done really well too. And I want to talk about that also, the voting process of the award. Again, it's kind of like the Hall of Fame where it's case by case, but I also want to talk about the narrative, that side of it too, right? If you're helping a team that wasn't good last year, like Brandon, we're going to talk Brandon Crawford and really helping that team now be one of the best in baseball, how much does that narrative matter too uh, from a player's perspective? Because we talk about the postseason, and I know they're not supposed to even think about the postseason, but you can at least acknowledge getting into it, right, and helping your team get there. That's got to be part of the award for the most valuable player. Well, voters are supposed to vote on just the regular season. Postseason is not supposed to count, which, you know, the wars don't come out until after the postseason's over with. So if you've got a guy that has just absolutely destroyed it in the postseason, helped his team win a, a championship, that has got to sway some voters. They should have votes yes. in before the postseason even starts because there's no way that doesn't influence voters. There's no way because you're seeing them do it in the postseason, whether you acknowledge it or not consciously, unconsciously, you have to, there, there's going to be some level of influence there. Uh, so I'm excited to discuss some of those storylines as well. Um, and, and I think when you look at the MVP picture, Shohei Otani is probably the only guy that, you know, his team is probably not going to make the playoffs. You'll get the NL MVP race. It's a bunch of teams that are in that hunt. The Angels are really the only team that with an MVP candidate aren't really there. And, and that's upsetting, but that just shows you how dominant he has been where uh, you probably have to be what about 30% better than the other finalists. If your team is not going to the postseason. I, I know some people say 
that it shouldn't matter because it's most valuable player, not most valuable player on a good team. I've heard that one a million times. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you got you got two schools of thought. You've got uh, most valuable player, which a lot of times uh, you'll see a player with the best stats, even though his team didn't do much of anything uh, in the regular season to get to postseason. Um, you'll just see the guy with the best stats win MVP. And then other years, uh, you know, I remember one of my good buddies that I played with, Terry Pendleton. He won the MVP and had, I think, 84 RBIs that year. Uh, did not leave, was not in the top 10 in home runs, anything like that, but he, they gave him the MVP because he was so integral in the uh, Braves getting to the postseason. So, you know, it, it's uh, I think it's most valuable. So you have a, a player that makes a difference on your team. Without that player, that team would not have made it to the postseason because that's why we put on a uniform. We put on the uniform to make it to the postseason. So if you're a last place team and you got a really good player, is he really the most valuable? Because your team did nothing. So I always like that most valuable, really uh, ringing true. Like you have to have done something to help your team get to the postseason. That's what makes it most valuable for me. And I think the the case for Otani there is that they would probably be 20 games under if it weren't for him uh, with Trout being out. So that's one of those unique circumstances where you could say this team would be one of the worst probably if it weren't for him. But generally, I I agree with that. And I think that's going to kind of help us here as we go through these awards. Before we get to the awards, I see yellow, a yellow piping line on the jersey and blue. Uh, I'm going to guess that's an old, is that old Royals or old Brewers? Old Brewers. Hey, that that was a pretty good guess. Okay, so I've got the team right. Old Brewers. Oof. Old Brewers is the jersey, and I'm gonna guess it's like '90s, mid '90s Brewers. That's 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 testing me. Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer on the Brewers. This one's gonna make me really mad too. I already know it. Yeah, I just I wore it today because you know we were talking about pitching and we're talking about Cy Young and I don't know that Brewer staff is truly remarkable what they are doing. I mean, it is it might be historic these top three guys they have. So. I- I thought I'd go old school and you, and you asked me, you're going to ask me a little bit later about maybe milestones. So Ah, just give it to me. I'm going to be pissed. 19. Who am I looking at? Why do I still not know? Robin Yount. Robin Yount. God, that's a tough one. Honestly, that's That's a a tough one. one. That's That's a good good one. one. I'll, I'll take the L on that one. I should know Robin Yount though. So what's the story behind that one? And I'm going to be kicking myself while you tell it. Um, well, you know, you, you're going to ask me about, you know, uh, being part of Milestones. And I played with George Brett. And in 1992, George Brett got his 3,000th hit. And I was on the team to witness that. So that same year in 1992, Robin Yount got his 3,000th hit. Uh, with the, I wasn't at that game. Uh, it was against the Cleveland Indians. But Robin Yount was one of those guys that uh, kind of like in that same mold as George Brett, just loved the way he played the game, loved the way he was in the clubhouse, loved his leadership. Uh, I got to play against him briefly, uh, very briefly, but um, just one of those guys I always really respected. So when I was looking through rosters and, and trying to find out guys who I'd want to get on jerseys, the old Mitchell and Ness, you know, throwback jerseys. Yeah. He was one of the first ones that I uh, targeted and, and I sent it up to, to Milwaukee and he was with the, working with the organization at the time. So he um, signed it for me, which is really cool. Oh, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, a pair of MVPs. He had multiple seasons where he hit 330 
and just, you know, drove in a ton of runs, 3000 hits, like you said. So that milestone, that 3000 hit, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, I wanted to ask you, yeah, like, like we said, which, which times maybe you were a part of something historic as we await Miguel Cabrera's 500th home run. And it's really cool to see all the fans packing it into Comerica and you're seeing big attendance numbers as everybody just wants to see a part of history. And uh, I think people forget that it's pretty cool for the players too to, to see a part of history. Uh, and you, you almost want it to have, it's the one time you might want it to happen to you if you're on the other side uh, when, when a guy's about to approach a milestone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're watching history, and uh, I got to do uh, a few of them. You know, I saw uh, Cal Ripken's 3,000th hit. I was on the team with him when he got his 3,000th hit. Um, I saw Paul Molitor's 3,000th hit. I was playing against him when he did that. Uh, George Brett, obviously, um, got to see his and be a part of that 3,000th hit. Um, the Hawk, Andre Dawson, I got to be on the team with him when he hit his 400th home run. Um, you know, just, uh, being in that era where guys were, um, when I was a rookie, guys were coming up and, and retiring just that time where I got to see these milestones or at least be in the league while I got these, their, their milestones, you know, it's, uh, it was a pretty special time. And, um, you know, and then now when I look through my jerseys and see all the guys that I played against, um, that are now in the hall of fame, Jim Tomei and Frank Thomas and Mike Piazza and Tom Glavin and, uh, Jeff Bagwell and all these guys that are just, you know, that were my contemporaries, but, uh, just superstars in their, in their time, you know, I got their jerseys when I was playing against them and, and didn't really think that, yeah, someday these guys are going to be hall of famers, yeah. but my hall of fame collection of jerseys has increased <laughs> dramatically <laughs> since I retired. And it's probably still going to keep growing because some of those players uh, that maybe were coming up towards the back end of your career now are starting to make their way in there. And uh, that's going to be fun to see as well uh, with Yount on the last thing I want to say about him. What's interesting is that he was a three-time all-star two-time MVP, <laughs> which you don't see very often. Right, right. I, it should be a 12 time all-star and two time MVP. Yeah. You wouldn't expect that. And at the same time, he's also been, uh, he was somebody that we talk about dominating in short spurts. He was more of a guy that did it over the span of a long time, right? 20 years of pretty consistent ball. He was pretty much consistent until the end. Of course he had those two big MVP seasons, but what's amazing is that he was just able to amass you know, 160, 170, 190 hits almost every single season. And, you know, that's how you get to 3,000. What impressed you about the way he was able to just be so consistent? How was he able to do that as a hitter? Well, just that. I mean, his approach was uh, so consistent. Like, he wasn't like the Cal Ripken where he's changing his stance every other day. And, and you every time you face him, you see something totally different. He was basically that same type player his entire career and uh, the model of consistency. So, you know, we talked about this before in the in the Hall of Fame consideration that guys that stay around a long time and produce for a long time, they deserve some credit for that. You know, we also talked about the guys that don't play quite as long but dominate their era and that that period of ten years that they dominate their game. Robin Yount was, uh, like you said, as consistent as they came, and you knew exactly what you're going to get. You know, he wasn't super flashy. He wasn't a, a huge base dealer or a guy that's going to uh, electrify a game, but you could count on what he was going to do every single day, and I'm sure his teammates were very appreciative of that. Yeah, that's the amazing thing is he did a little bit of everything almost every single year. He always hit double-digit homers, double-digit stolen bases, 80 RBI, 175-plus hits. Like To be able to pencil that in every year, 
as, as a team. That's got to be incredibly valuable uh, just to know what you are getting, even if it's not going to be that MV, even though you did win two MVPs. So you were always getting a little bit of a bonus too sometimes. So th- that's a good name. And, and I'm glad you brought that one up because that's somebody that Hall of Famer, but maybe doesn't get discussed as much as some of the other players that uh, were from that era and, and are also in uh, Cooperstown. But let's get to the awards today. Now for what we could see going down the final stretch here, it's still up in the air, which I love. It makes it a lot more fun. We've got plenty of storylines as we go. We already said we don't really need to talk about the AL MVP, but the NL MVP is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of topics to be discussed here within this award. You have Fernando Tatis, who has been spectacular when he's on the field, but he hasn't been on the field. He comes back first game back. It's two home runs. Uh, It's unbelievable. They're putting him in right field now, uh, which seems to make more sense than center field. I think he can probably protect himself a little bit better out there. And let's be real. It's about the bat for him. That's what they need. And the Padres right now are fighting for their lives. They're they're only a game and a half up on the Reds. I just wrote a piece on JustBaseball.com making my case for the Reds. I think they can sneak in and they're looking like they can. And the guy, Joey Votto, who has really helped them in the second half, he's a candidate as well. I'm seeing a lot of people talk Bryce Harper. Uh, There's a lot of different players that can go into this here. Who is your pick right now for NL MVP? And then I'll get into the specific candidates uh, after I hear your little pitch here. You know, um, you hit on a a very important topic for me is where Fernando Tatis uh, has only played in 87 games or 89 games. Uh, you got Bryce Harper, who's been a lot of talk, which I don't get that one because, you know, he's got 21 home runs and 49 RBIs right now. And they're talking about Bryce Harper for MVP. Yes, his OPS is out out of this world because he, he's walking a lot and he's hitting some home runs and slugging. His slugging percentage is way up there. I think he's leads in slugging, too, but he's missed 20 games as well. He's only played in less. He's played in less than 100 games. Joey Votto, you look at him, his numbers and regardless of what he's done. He is single single handedly told the Centenarians, "Climb on my back for this second half, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take us to the promised land because he's done it all." He's another guy. He's missed 23 games this year. He's missed out of 23 games, but his numbers. You know, he's fifth in RBIs. He's third in home runs. He's fourth in OPS, even though he's missed 23 games. Tatis, same thing. You know, he's first in home runs. He's first in OPS. Uh, he's first in stolen bases, even though he's missed. Uh, what, 30 games uh, of his team's games. So I think they're all legitimate candidates, um, but I want a guy that's been there every single day. We, we touched on Brandon Crawford and how at a premium position, the shortstop position at 34 years old, this guy is turning in his best season, like by far. I mean, his, not career, even close. his career OPS coming in this year is like 750 or something. He's at 918 for the year. So he's doing something extraordinary. And, you know, I wonder what's in the coffee that uh, he was drinking this off season, but some guys have a resurgence like this. They, there's something that clicks with them. They, they find a new trainer or they find a new workout program or then maybe they do a little bit less and let their body heal and recover. Maybe last year with COVID was great for him. He was able to heal some injuries that had been nagging for a long time. And now he's healthy and ready to go. And on that veteran club, him and Buster Posey alike. I mean, Buster Posey should get some votes as well. They're taking that team to the best record in all of baseball right now. I think people overlook the fact that the Giants have the best record in all of baseball, which is insane to me because they don't have that 
jump out off the page superstar like a Tatis or uh, what what Joey Votto is doing. Or I'll tell you what, another guy that should be in that conversation is Freddie Freeman. They yeah. are back, the Braves are at the back top of the National League East, and Freddie Freeman is having another outstanding year. That guy is as consistent as they come, and he's always at the top. He's probably in the top ten of just about every offensive category right now. I think you you hit a lot of really awesome points. And to go with Crawford real quick, because that's my pick at this moment is Brandon Crawford. And for a lot of the reasons you just said, let's compare here the career numbers as to where he is now. 254 career hitter hitting 306 this year. Uh, 321 career on base, 371 this year. 403 career slugging, 547 this year. He already is only two home runs away from his single season career high, which he did back in 2015. He's got 19 homers, 21 is his career high. So he's on pace for a career high there. He's basically going to set career marks in every single statistic, assuming he continues the way he is. And as you pointed out before we started recording, he's sitting over 500 in his last seven games, went four for four yesterday. So it's not like Brandon Crawford is slowing down. He's also stolen the most bases he has in his career. He's nine for nine on stolen bases. So you talk about like the coffee, something really clicked for him. I'm assuming it was something with training because the fact that he's even swiping bags, he's playing as good a defense as he's ever played. And he's won multiple gold gloves. For me, with the storyline, as we alluded to earlier, if the Giants take that number one spot in the NL West and Brandon Crawford continues on this trajectory, it's going to be hard to give it to anybody else, right? I mean, he's on pace for potentially 100 driven in. He could hit 25 to 30 home runs. He's hitting well over 300 now, or not well over, but he's hitting over 300 right now. And the OPS is at 918. You factor in the fact that he plays shortstop, whereas Fernando Tatis was playing bad shortstop and now is going to a corner in the outfield, albeit it's not totally his fault. Bryce Harper is a corner outfielder. Freddie Freeman, I love him, but he's a first baseman. right? How much does the defensive side and premium position come into this as well? It, it does. I mean, when you look at up the middle and what they uh, bring to the table defensively, and then on top of that, offensively, if they can add, because usually up the middle is bonus if you can if you can hit catcher, shortstop, second base, center field. If you've got any kind of power, any kind of average, yeah, usually those guys are speed guys, so they're gonna they're gonna scorch it on the base pass and steal a lot of bases. But if you've got those power numbers, a 900 plus OPS up the middle, man, that is something special. And you know, Brandon Crawford, I mean, he's got 70 RBIs. What's his career on R- RBIs? It's got to be. 84. Yeah, I was going to say, he's never hit over 100 <laughs> RBI, so he's going to shatter that. And uh, they've still got uh, 40 games to go, 35 games to go. It, it's unbelievable. It, more than that. And so he's really going to to smash every single spot that he's had. And he's had a good career. It's not like he's been some nobody. He's, he's made multiple all-star appearances before this. Uh, but the Giants have liked what they've seen so much. They gave him a two-year extension, $32 million, or $36 million, excuse me, which you know, is just is just a great deal for him. And I think it's a good deal for the Giants, uh, given that he's not showing signs of slowing down. The last thing on Crawford, though, can you go a little bit more into having this mid-30s explosion uh, that you're seeing from a player? I, I know in your era, uh, it may have happened for different reasons, but... You talk about maybe a new trainer, uh, the year off maybe. I think that's really what's helped Buster Posey. Um, what do you think it is? Because it's not just Brandon Crawford either. It's the Giants in general. Brandon Belt has been incredible. Longoria just came back, but even before he was hurt, he was incredible. Uh, is there something that the Giants are doing as an organization possibly from the inside that's helping these players uh, training-wise? You think they've got something, they know something, some anti-aging sort of ability that they have in San Francisco? Well, we talked about this a few episodes ago about what impact the manager has on a lineup. 
they got a new manager in Gabe Kapler. He came in fresh this year. Um, you know, this guy's a bodybuilder. He's, uh, yeah, he's a fit guy. Maybe he got something into the, you know, the coffee in there that, that re- rejuvenated these guys that uh, is a fountain of youth because they're performing at a level that uh, they hadn't seen before. So maybe the way he's managing the personalities in that clubhouse, like we talked about before, maybe the way he's utilizing his lineup, uh, giving guys rest days when they need to have rest days, he's in tune with that. Uh, I wouldn't put it past because he's going to be, if he's not the leading candidate for nationally managed the year, I don't know who is. Yeah, a hundred percent. And he seems to be the guy that's, that's going to get it. And well, the one thing I will say is turmeric, turmeric pills, uh, they, they limit inflammation. Griffin got me onto that and they've helped me a lot. Maybe it was a little, little turmeric, something like that. (laughs) A little, a little help, maybe a little placebo. You never know. I mean, baseball is that way where sometimes you see the old guys around you hitting and then you're like, yeah, maybe I can do this too. And it seems like they're all feeding off each other. You add Chris Bryant into the fold now, and uh, they've got a little bit of a rejuvenation too in terms of getting a boost. So final answer here, who is your MVP? Because Tatis, like I said, he came back, he hit two jacks. He might hit 40. How do you not give it to the guy that hits 40 with 100 plus driven in? Uh, Who gets it here? Hmm. Well, you know what? I'm going to throw another little monkey wrench in here and talk about most valuable to a team. And this has never happened before. A team that uh, traded for a guy that has made a huge impact on your success is the Brewers. Oh. Willie Adamas. I mean, you see what he's done and what the numbers, the numbers, I just read an article today and that's why I'm talking about it because the Brewers are 21 and 23 before he showed up, before he got onto the team. 21 and 23, and they were 26th in OPS at shortstop. They were 28th uh, in, uh, or OPS at shortstop, or 28th, uh, 477 winning percentage. Since he came on board, they're gone 51 and 24, 680 winning percentage, which is the best in Major League Baseball since he's been there. Now they have the seventh highest OPS in Major League Baseball. I'm sorry, as a team, they had the 28th lowest and at shortstop it was 26 now as a team they have the seventh their seventh overall major league baseball so that's the case of a guy injecting a lot of positive stuff he has made the other guys around him better christian yelich has, has gotten uh, much better since he's been there they're starting to hit like you know their offensive stride the pitching staff is lights out absurd i mean three guys we're going to talk about for cy young you could probably give it to any one of those guys but <laughs> this guy's a dark horse man a dark horse that uh, we'll get some votes. I don't think it'll happen because anyone that's ever traded in the middle of the season, gone to another team has never won an MVP. Wow. Never even, never even finished in the top four. So that is uh, an interesting stat that was in the article. But I mean, right now, you know, Tatis is the face of this young youth movement in baseball. If he stays healthy the rest of the year, He's going to put up such monster numbers and the Padres are going to be in it to the very end. So I can't see it's going to be his to lose. I hope he stays healthy the whole time. If something happens to that shoulder and he has to come out of the lineup again, then we're going to look at these other guys. Uh, I'm saying Tatis. And if it's not, uh, I, I want to see Brandon Crawford and I'd like to see that happen. Uh, but I'm going Tatis. So to go back to Willie Adonis too, can one player make that much of a difference? You said, they were 28th in OPS, and now they're seventh. 
And I know that he's been a big boost because since the trade, he's slashing 297, 378, 551, which is absurd. It's a 929 OPS that you're getting from the shortstop position. That being said, how much is correlation and how much is causation here? Uh, in your experience, can one player really be that much of a spark plug? I think so. I think so, especially if he's great in the clubhouse, which, you know, we don't know that for a fact. You know, I'd have to talk to some of the guys that are there and what kind of positive impact he's had on that clubhouse. But to bring that kind of injection of life into a lineup with those kind of numbers, and if he's a great guy in the clubhouse that has that injection of life also personality-wise, I think that could spur on a huge run like he's doing. And if that's all true. If, if he's as good in the club as he on the field, uh, he should be considered for MVP. I mean, he might be the first guy to, to rank that highly because you look at the numbers, they're pretty hard to deny. And you have now this sample size of a guy that comes in and takes a team to the next level. That's almost like a controlled study of a, of a valuable player. Uh, so you don't usually get that very often. And the obvious reason being that nobody's going to trade a player in the middle of the season that is a MVP candidate because they're the, one of the most valuable players. You're not trading those right. guys. So it, it's very rare. And uh, that's going to be a fun finish here. My pick, I'm going to go Brandon Crawford just because I love the defense I love the storyline. I think the Giants have this magic around them, and I think the writers are going to gravitate towards it. And Crawford hasn't slowed down. I have the fear that you'll be right with Fernando Tatis, and I guess fears are the wrong word because I love Tatis and I love the way he plays. But I'm going to be more the the old school guy, um, and, and I think you're rubbing off on me a little bit. I need to see you out there more. I know it's out of his control. I'm not saying it's Tatis's fault, but at the same time, you know, you got to earn that MVP. And he's been limited defensively. He has not been good at shortstop. I think people over overmake that, though. You know, I think he'll be fine long term, but he hasn't been good there. And now he's playing right field. So I think we got to talk about that a little bit. And especially when potentially the counterpart here is somebody that is the polar opposite, a phenomenal defender at shortstop. There's got to be some value there. We can't just chase the box scores. So I think Tatis is going to have to, you know, put up these ridiculous numbers. But like you said, there's a very good chance that's what ends up happening. So it should be a fun finish here. And, and I'm excited to see which way the writers go, because I think there's a lot of different um, ideologies that can factor in here. I also really love your nomination there of Freddie Freeman, because if the Braves sneak in, I mean, given everything that's happened, you got the storyline there too, right? Ronald Acuna out for the season. Uh, they've lost their pitchers. They lost Marcelo Zuna uh, to legal matters. This was a team that was dead in the water. And if they can get in there, you, you're going to be hard pressed to look outside of maybe Ozzy Albies and Austin Riley. Those are the only two guys that I'd really say have been playing a big part, but Freddie Freeman's the heart and soul of that team. And if he finishes hot here too, he's going to end up having 35 home runs hitting 300 and, and driving in potentially 85, 90. That's pretty valuable too, with the defense that he plays. So it's going to be fun. Your final answer is Tatis. My final answer is Crawford though. I still think you're going to be right. So I don't know if that really is my final answer. Well, but. my my gut is Tatis, but my heart is Crawford. Um, I'm with Freeman, you. You know, and 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 Votto too. I mean, I think it's going to be one of the most spread out uh, all star votes, or I mean, uh, MVP votes that we've seen. Uh, usually, some of them are just you know, like when Harper won it unanimously, it was like so over the top of his season. But there are so many great stories this year. There's so many guys that are contributing, uh, even at levels that we didn't think that they were capable of. You know, we didn't think that 
Brandon Crawford was capable of this. We didn't think that that uh, Joey Votto was capable of this anymore. And here they are. They're they're making these pushes and, and pushing their teams and ranking them to a higher level. It's going to be fun coming down the stretch. I love it. I love it. And it's it's kind of fun to watch it now, too, because I, I know the players are focused on making the postseason, but it, it's in the back of people's minds. You know, how can you separate yourself a little bit, too? But speaking of separating here, the NL Cy Young, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a cluster as well. It, it was initially a runaway for Jacob deGrom, but deGrom doesn't look like he's going to be back. Potentially, I mean, I hope he'll be back at some point this season, but he continues to have setbacks. They rushed him back before. I don't think that was the right move. And he doesn't look like he's going to be back anytime soon. That's not going to really help his case here. And it's not going to help the Mets who are in a free fall as well. It seems like DeGrom is pretty much out of the consideration unless he came back next week. Zach Wheeler is the favorite, which is understandable given that he has just been a workhorse this year in a, in an era where we don't see workhorses Walker Bueller in that consideration. And then of course, like you said, you have the three headed monster in Milwaukee of Corbin Burns uh, of course, you got Brandon Woodruff as well and Freddie Peralta. Peralta probably lagging behind a little bit as the young pitcher, but my goodness, is he special as well. Corbin Burns, I mean, he just struck out 10 guys in a row, I believe, the other day. He's unbelievable. And Brandon Woodruff can't say enough about him. Where do you think these guys all rank and stack up against each other? For me right now, Zach Wheeler is ahead, but I'm looking at Corbin Burns to sneak in there and potentially take it. I mean, this is going to be a coin toss. It's going to be a coin flip. You look at that, that three, like you said, a three-headed monster in, in, in Milwaukee. You've got three guys under a 226 ERA, three guys under a 226. So Woodruff is at 218, Burns at 223, and Peralta at 226. I mean, it's, it's insane that Peralta's got a 141 batting average against. Yeah. one. 182 for Woodruff, Corbin Burns at 203. He's the, the slacker at someone hitting over 200 off of him. So when you, you combine, I wish he could like chop up the Cy Young and give it to a little mini trophies to all three of those guys because they're going to take them to the promised land we talked about in postseason. You need three studs at the top of your rotation. Wow, do they have that? I don't think Bueller in LA has got enough uh, pub for this one. You know, he's 12 and two with a 209 ERA, uh, 189 average against. You know, Zach Wheeler's are, numbers are a little more underwhelming as far as dominance is concerned. Uh, Scherzer, there, he's right there too. He's 10 and four. Uh, he's got a whip of 0.90, uh, 184 batting average against. Um, I think we're so used to seeing him at the top every yeah. single year that, that these other guys are getting more consideration. But don't discount what Max Scherzer has done this year um, getting traded. And you know what? You know, you look at Peralta, he's only got 119 innings pitched. Burns only got 120 some innings pitched. They're they're kind of lagging behind what these other workhorses, like you said, are they're like 30 innings behind what the league leaders have. So uh, is that going to sway a voter saying that's three or four starts worth that uh, they didn't get into games like these other guys did? And um, that is significant in my book. Absolutely. I think the innings really, I think it matters more than, than ever because some people might say, well, that's not where the game's at anymore. And, and that's fine. But if you're somebody that can transcend that and be more of that throwback pitcher that eats the innings, that's valuable to me. So while Wheeler may not have quite the numbers, he's going to rack up 200 innings. We don't see guys do that that much anymore. Uh, Walker Bueller surprisingly has been racking up those innings too. Uh, I just don't know. Something about Bueller for me, I just haven't seen that same level of dominance. Um, maybe that might just be a little bit of 
of what I have seen and when I have watched him. But at the end of the day, he's leading the NL in ERA right now. And I was going to say, what what don't you like about twelve and two of the two oh nine ERA? Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm just looking at the swings and misses, right? And how much does that matter? At the end of the day, not really, right? If you're if you're putting up numbers, you're getting outs. That's the most important thing. And uh, while he lags behind some of the other guys in terms of swings and misses, he's got a two, 2.09 ERA. And all of a sudden, too, this is a Dodgers rotation that came into the year like so good it was dumb. And it's still a really good rotation now that they brought Scherzer in. But he was the anchor for a lot of unknown. Kershaw was hurt. Trevor Bauer had to, you know, depart. Uh, there was a lot of things going on. He had a lot of different injuries. Dustin May out for the season. All of a sudden, this rotation that was, you didn't figure out how you were going to put five guys into it. You were scraping for arms. And Walker Bueller was that consistency. Uh, so while I haven't seen those uh, eight innings of shutout ball as frequently maybe as we've seen from Burns. I, that's what I was getting at there is almost like we saw more of the highlight reel outings from Corbin Burns, but Walker Bueller has kind of just quietly been consistent and there's got to be value to that as well. I'm probably at this point, uh, I see Wheeler as the favorite, but I, I don't necessarily know why outside of the, of the bulk there. I know people don't love to put stock into wins and losses, especially when you have the Dodgers who who rake. But when you're the best ERA and you're 12 and two, that's got to matter for something. I think I think so, too, because, you know, wins, I think, is a misleading stat for some. But there are some pitchers that that pitch to an ERA. They pitch to what their team gives them. Remember Jack Morris, you know, everyone thought that Jack Morris didn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because he had a high ERA. But I remember facing that guy, and if if he, he was given four runs to work with, he might give you three, but it's going to be really hard to get that fourth. You know what I mean? So he pitched to an ERA. He's not dominant to the fact that he goes out every single um, time out and, like, totally shuts you out. But he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to give his chance a team, uh, give his team a chance to win every, every single time he goes out there. And that was Jack Morris, and I think that's why he's a Hall of Famer. So when you look at wins and losses, there are some guys that are just dominant. Uh, I mean, and Bueller for me has been that guy this year. Absolutely. So you're going Bueller as the Cy Young winner right now? Uh, I, you know, he's got that. He's got the L.A. media machine behind him as well. They've, they've definitely pushed their players into awards uh, before. I remember in 2004. Uh, Isturis got the gold glove at shortstop when our guy right here, Gonzalez, Alex Gonzalez deserved it more than anybody, I thought. Uh, but Isturis got the gold glove. So that's a factor. That's a factor. How much of an impact do you think that makes? Well, you know, if a guy that plays on a team that is a little more obscure as far as the national spotlight is concerned or doesn't get the publicity that the, the big five media markets do, then writers might even forget about them. They're just not in their face all the time where Bueller and Shares are going to be in your face all the time. They're always going to be out there because it's LA, because it's a media machine. You know, these guys in Milwaukee, which is a small market team, they're getting publicity just because of the ridiculous numbers they're putting up. But those guys need a bigger push than what they would in LA. I agree with that hundred percent because it's really hard otherwise to, to get, that type of notoriety. That's what made Jose Fernandez so special to me is that when I, when I got to college and people were telling me like, Oh yeah, I love to watch Jose Fernandez pitch and I'm in Syracuse. I was shocked. 
I'm not used to people in other states in New York knowing about Marlins players uh, at, at that point. You know, I, I was not used to that. So it was pretty cool to see how like transcendent he was, how he was able to get out of that uh, smaller fan base. And it definitely has an impact and you have to be just a, an, another level of good. Uh, the one thing, though, that stands out to me with Scherzer is the whip at point eight, nine. I, I just that's to me is just incredible. I don't want to make a difference, a big, you know, a big deal out of a point four uh, difference in whip. Cause that's where Bueller is, but to just have that under 0.9 to me is incredible. And I just wonder if Scherzer is able to get that ERA under two five and he starts to you know finish strong here with about five more solid starts, if he could start to creep in there. And the fun thing about this is that you can make the case that it's going to be between Woodruff, Burns, Bueller, and Scherzer. So it could be between a pair of teammates here. Uh, so your final answer, in your opinion, is to the 26-year-old Bueller, which how crazy he's only 26. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Bueller. <laughs> you sound disappointed. Well, I mean, Scherzer, for me, is a, I love that guy. He's just an old-school kind of guy that gets out there. He wants the ball every single time. He's so proven. He's so consistent. Uh, I'd like to see him win it. Uh, Bueller's numbers, if they continue the way they are, man, they're going to be something special by the end of the year. Um, and I think that might sway the voters. And he's also made 24 starts, which is, you know, among the most in, in baseball, which is also really important. Uh, Scherzer, not too far behind at 22. And, you know, the trade may have uh, cost him a start there too. And in, in between. Uh, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go Corbin Burns on this one. And, I know that Burns is a few starts behind, but the way he is dominating at this point, I think that he's going to finish really strong. He's got 172 Ks and 121 innings, not quite the sample size, but I think he's just going to carve dudes up. And uh, the stories. Peralta's numbers in front of you? Yeah, Peralta's are crazy. Those numbers. (laughs) Two innings less pitched, but look at the hits given up per. And his innings. I mean, it's insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 58 hits allowed in 119 <laughs> thirds innings. That's insane. How, how is that possible? He's he's crazy. His slider is is out of this world. Yeah, Peralta, Peralta could be there, too. And you know what the crazy part about this is? Freddie Peralta, 25 years old. Corbin Burns, 26 years old. Walker Buehler, 26 years old. Brandon Woodruff, 28 years old. And then you got the old man in Max Scherzer at 30, 36. Um, so... There's that obviously won't factor into voting, but I love the 36 year old keeping up with the kids here. Well, how old's how old's uh, Zach Wheeler now? Zach Wheeler is 31. Middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. He's kind of the weird outlier here, but yeah, I think it could be either any of those three Milwaukee guys. It's this. This is historically good in terms of the rotation. Uh, so we go to the AL two, and the interesting thing about the AL is we have another uh, inner team conundrum here where it's Lance Lynn is the favorite right now. But personally, I like Carlos Rodon. I think what Rodon has done this year is more impressive. He's getting more swings and misses. He has been, in my opinion, more consistent. But then you've also got Garrett Cole, who's back all of a sudden and looks like he's shoving again. Uh, it's it's wide open for the AL as well. Yeah, you know, you look at the two teammates, uh, Lynn and Rodon, they've still they've, they've got the, the problem of uh, lack of innings as well. You know, Rodon's only got 109 innings at this point in the season. That's not very much. Uh, Lance Lynn is only 10 ahead of him at 119, where Garrett Cole's got 150 innings pitched, uh, 11 and 6 with a 304 ERA. And especially at Yankee Stadium, that place is a bandbox, man. And he's 
uh, pitching that to a 0.97 whip, uh, just one tick higher than Rodon, who's 0.96. But that's you're looking at the best in the American League um, at that whip right there, 0.97. I think they're the only two guys that are starters that are under one. Uh, which, you know, in the American League, that makes a big difference because you got the DH, which typically adds about a run per ERA per team. Um, that's how good a, a DH, how much difference a DH will make in that situation. So Garrett Cole, uh, for me, is still right there top of the running. And just because of the starts he's made, the innings he's put in, um, and if the New York Yankees make the playoffs, he's going to be a big reason why. Um, because they've had pitching issues all year long. And I'm going to give him the nod over Lynn and, and Radon just because of their lack of innings pitched. That's the only thing, right? I mean, you look at, at Rodon, and, and his story is incredible. A guy that struggled to stay healthy, comes back all of a sudden throwing 99, uh, throws the no-hitter, misses a perfect game by a matter of inches. And a uh, great story nonetheless. And the, the White Sox have had this massive uh, jump too, whether it's from Rodon, you've seen Lance Lynn as a guy that kind of emerged elsewhere, but then has just continued to be good there. Giolito going from being terrible to, you know, one of the best pitchers last year, and now he's somewhere in between. And Dylan Cease has made some major strides. That's another really good rotation. Uh, Robbie Ray, also really interesting. 288 ERA for Toronto, and they've been playing all over the map. Buffalo is a launch pad. Ball nope. flies out of there. When they play in Dunedin down here, where they he made a handful of starts, that's even more of a launch pad if you look at the park factor. Uh, so it, it's been a challenge for him where he's had to pitch. He's been burned by the long ball, 24 of them he's given up, yet he's been able to maintain a 288 ERA, punching out 167 and 137 innings. For Robbie Ray, it was always a matter of just throwing more strikes because he had walked a ton of hitters in the past, only walking a pair per nine innings, but Garrett Cole only walking 1.9 per nine innings. And what, what amazes me with Cole is he missed time, comes back, shoves again. Uh, he, he legitimately looked at Aaron Boone in the eyes and said, you are not taking me out of this game, pitch that ninth inning and finish the complete game. There's just this, this tenacity with him. And you talk about Joey Votto kind of saying, Hey, get on my back here with the reds. I see Garrett Cole saying that pretty much with his ball club. The offense has been inconsistent. The bullpen sucks. The rotation's been banged up. And if you don't have Garrett Cole on this ball club, we talk about MVP. The Yankees, in my opinion, aren't even in the hunt. Uh, So I'm with you. I'm going to go Garrett Cole here uh, because what he's been able to amass, even while missing time, still leads the AL in strikeouts, is among the leaders in innings pitched. And I think he's going to finish strong here down the stretch. The guy's a competitor. And I think we see it every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, and going to a team like the Yankees, uh, which you're under a microscope there. He's taken on that responsibility and that um, that, you know, that uh, pressure of that situation. I mean, there is no tougher market to pitch or play baseball than in New York. So uh, he's done it well and he's leading his league. And, and, and like you said, in strikeouts and and whip right now, that's my pick, especially when you got. Writers straight up asking you, have you ever used spider tack? And he just sat there and just had no answer. Just he had no, it was the worst interviewer of all time. But I, I still to this, he I got over it and now look what he's doing. Yep. And, and the crazy thing is, is he struggled a little bit after that. And people, you know, that was the big narrative. Cole sucks without the spider tack, this, this, and this. That that could get, get to players 100%. You talk about the New York media, a lot of players can't handle that. He didn't really care. <laughs> like he sat there, had no answer. And I think I'd be having a panic attack if I froze like that. And he's just like, 
Yeah. You know, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would have been stuttering and trying to get out of it. And I wonder if a PR person lost a job that day, because how do you you not prep Garrett Cole? Like, Hey, you're probably going to get a question about spider tax. Say this. Uh, I don't know how that didn't happen, but it kind of just shows you how, how much he's unaffected by it because he sat there froze. It was the worst answer I've ever seen. And it didn't affect him whatsoever. (laughs) So there's gotta be a value to that. Uh, Now I want to go to the rookie of the year race because I have a problem with the AL Rookie of the Year race, and I'll get into that. So let's start with the NL Rookie of the Year race, which also has a little bit of drama in it. Right now, I would have said, you know, a couple of weeks ago that Trevor Rogers was the runaway. Uh, Marlins left-handed pitcher has been spectacular, uh, really just consistent, consistent. He dealt with a little bit of injuries. Now he's unfortunately on the bereavement list and, and dealing with with a loss in his family. So uh, definitely thoughts are with Trevor Rogers, and you know, there, there's more important things, and he'll get back when he gets back. But but that aside. You know, now that he has the workload that he has, he still put up some really good numbers, but he's going to have to come back if he's going to win this award. Uh, Jonathan India, on the flip side, has turned it up a notch uh, since Trevor Rogers has missed time. And India has been spectacular. What really stands out to me with him is the 400 on base percentage, because you know, that's so hard to do nowadays. And to do that as a rookie, uh, you can make what you will about Cincinnati being small doesn't help you get on base. And, and that's what's really been impressive for me with India. And uh, he's been really a, a nice story out of Cincinnati. Seems like a two-man race there between those two guys. Uh, we have a little bit of the pitcher versus hitter thing here too. And the fact that Rodgers has missed some time. I think I know where you're going to go with this one, but I'm curious, who's, who's your guy? Well, you are know, you do know where I'm going to go with this. Um, you know, I'm going with the offensive guy pretty much all the time. And like you said, Rodgers has had a phenomenal year for Miami. They've done absolutely nothing. They've had a great pitching staff. They've done very well on the mound as a whole, and he's led that staff. So he's 7-6 and six with a two four five ERA, which <laughs> is spectacular. I mean, absolutely spectacular. But you got a guy that in India that is in a pennant race. They're chasing, trying to chase down the Padres. And with that kind of that that point in the season where you're going after someone in ahead of you, that's when he's turning up his game. Yep. He's been lighting it up as of late, 283 average. And, and you know what? I would not be surprised if you ask India what's going on in his mind in that clubhouse. He is sitting right next to Joey Votto, picking his brain on how to get on base, how to approach at bats, how to stay calm in pressure situations. Joey Votto is the most deadpan, calmest guy I've ever seen in those situations. You know, he just like – the guy's super intelligent. He just knows how to handle himself in any situation. So I guarantee you, India has really benefited a lot from his knowledge and being on that team. So being that he's an offensive player, which I tend to side towards anyway, but also being in the playoff race, I'm going to give it to India. I, that's a really good point that I never even thought about is, is India's approach has made such major strides. He was a guy that walked a lot in the minors, but – it's just a different level of ability to get on base, working the counts, just being a tough out. And also, you talk about him being on a team that's in a pennant race. He's batting leadoff for a team in a pennant race. That, that's a different animal. Rookie yes. batting leadoff for one of the best offenses in baseball that has you know a ton of good hitters behind him. He's got to set that table. And again, you can make the case that it's easy to hit in Cincinnati. And that has probably helped his power numbers a little bit with the 16 homers, but that's not going to help you get on base that much at a 400 clip. That's not where it comes in. And uh, he's been as good as ever 
you know, down the stretch here. And uh, the one drawback on him is he he is initially a third baseman, adjusting the second, probably one of the weaker defensive second baseman right now. Uh, but when you're leading off for a team that's you know in the hunt, uh, I think you got to give it right now, especially with Rogers on the shelf. Uh, give it to the guy that has really just been leading the way for one of baseball's best offenses, one of baseball's hottest teams. And I love the Joey Votto uh, connection that you make there because I 100% agree with that. I do want to give a little shout out though, to Trevor Rogers, who, as you mentioned, a two, four, five ERA for a guy that first round pick, a lot of people were saying, ah, this guy's looks like a back end arm. He might be a bust and really figures it out and takes his game to the next level. Uh, it's been really cool to watch. He, he seems like a really humble guy goes about his business the right way, but Almost 11 strikeouts per nine for him. Uh, the two, four, five ERA, 110 innings. He's been really consistent. And, and I think that's a really, really good development for the Marlins. And uh, they've got to be excited to have a, a left-hander there that will be anchoring their staff for the foreseeable future uh, in Trevor Rogers. And again, all the best to him and his family. Uh, so it'll be a fun down the stretch here, especially if Rogers does come back uh, to see who can really get the uh, upper hand. Because if Rogers comes back and gives you five quality starts, then you're going to, there's a conversation here. I think it's still India, but there's definitely a conversation depending on how India finishes and how the Reds finish. Uh, so would you say that winning matters in the rookie of the year side of things too? Not as much, but does it matter? I don't think so. Not as much at all. You know, they're, they're basically looking for the best player as a rookie. They're not looking how he impacted his team. And usually it's a bad team. Yeah, a lot of rookies don't impact their team because, like you said, the great teams have all veterans playing on there. That's why they're making the, the postseason. So um, not a factor. So the AL side of things, you have somebody that somehow is still a rookie because it's all so weird with uh, last year and determining who a rookie is. And the favorite right now, because of the fact that we've had a few players go down with injuries, some guys fizzle. Uh, Adolis Garcia seemed like the far and away favorite, but he, he's fizzled out. And all of a sudden, Randy Arozarena uh, is looking more like Randy Arozarena. He's hitting 273, 350, 461 to 811 OPS. He's got 16 homers for a race team that's in the hunt. And my problem is this. Randy Arozarena made his debut in 2019. He played 19 games back then. That's okay. You can maintain your rookie eligibility. Comes back in 2020. Plays 23 games. That's in the regular season. Then plays another good portion of games, another 25 games in the postseason, where he put up one of the best postseasons we've ever seen in the history of baseball, <laughs> legitimately. He's still a rookie. Now, three years later, at 26, and is having a great year. But he's not a rookie in my eyes. That being said, we have to still treat him as one because Major League Baseball says we do. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. I, I agree that, hey, big leagues is big leagues. Postseason at-bats and games count if you're mm-hmm. in the postseason for a rookie status, no doubt. Maybe even more. Maybe yeah, I was going to say, maybe almost double. <laughs> double because of the, the pressure, the situation that you're experiencing as a rookie when you're in that uh, postseason going. That is absolutely a shame that – not a shame, but, you know, I don't think he should be classified as a rookie. It's not his and, fault. It's no. not his fault. That's Major League Baseball rules. And he is definitely – uh, a leader right now as in my book as far as uh, stats for rookie of the year because that's what we've got so we got the rangers was the same way i mean adolis garcia got called up in 2017 with the <laughs> cardinals and he's 28 years old and he's still a rookie what yeah. the heck's going on here and like you said he's got you know the big power numbers uh but he's got a 772 ops now and 
I just don't see him as, and he's on a Rangers team that has no shot of doing anything. So we get back to the rookies that are making an impact, Tampa Bay, first place Astros, Luis Garcia, who is another one that we, we're, we're going to talk about uh, for rookie of the year. Nine and six was a three, three. He's with the Astros, also a first place team. So when you've got two rookies that are batting out on first place teams, for me, everyone else in the conversation goes away because those guys are doing it on first place teams, which is going to be the most difficult chance to do it or way to do it when you're a rookie. So you say basically, cause you know, we asked like, does it matter uh, if you are on a good team, it can only help you is what you're saying. If you're on a bad team and you're putting up numbers as a rookie, you can still win it if you're better than everybody else, but that's like the deciding tiebreaker. Yes. I think there's more credence should be put on good numbers for a good team because it's easy to play on a horrible team because you're relaxed. You're not expected to win. You know, there's no expectations from the media. There's no expectations from uh, the team itself. There's development almost, especially for if you're a rookie, it's a development mode. So you're free to do whatever you want. Well, if Jonathan India or a Rosarena or Luis Garcia were struggling, they'd get him the heck out of there because they're in first place. They need bodies that would produce. If you're not producing as a rookie, they're going to get somebody else in there. So that makes it double, uh, doubly good for me that they're in there performing as well as they are. And the thing that really holds me back on Garcia, he plays good defense in center field. You mentioned the big power numbers, 26 homers. But anytime I see an on-base percentage under 300, I'm really going to struggle to side with you. And if his OPS, or excuse me, if his on-base percentage was half decent at 330, 340, we're talking about an OPS now that would be well over 800. So the inability to walk, the 22 walks against 135 strikeouts. I know he's a rookie, but he's 28 years old. I think this is who you're getting here. And I'm not, not to say that Randy Rosarena has the most polished approach in the world, but it's really hard for me to get behind a guy that's a sub 300 on base, dude. It's just, it's just too hard for me. But on the pitching side, and this is somebody that is anchor or helping anchor a staff that had some questions coming into the year. Lance McCullers has been great. Uh, so you definitely have to tip your cap there. Franber Valdez has been good. They've had a lot of arms step up. That being said, it's been really impressive to see what Luis Garcia is doing. A true rookie has never sniffed the big leagues, comes up. And, and that has to matter too. I think a guy that just really comes up and hasn't sniffed the big leagues and has just all of a sudden found success for a team that really needed him uh, in the Astros, that that was their only question was, how's the pitching going to be? No, nobody had a question about the Astros offense, cheating or not. Uh, yeah. and, and we've seen that, you know, firsthand here. He's been really darn good. And, and the numbers back it up. He's striking guys out. He's not walking a ton of dudes. He's been pretty consistent all year long. Uh, wh- where do you stand here on Garcia? Does he does he have a case against some of these other players? And then I'm going to have one more dark horse to mention to you here uh, for the potential rookie of the year. But 134 Ks, 111 two-thirds innings. 3-3 ERA, 2-17 opponent batting average, the whip at 1.1. These are all really stellar rookie numbers. Those are really good numbers against anybody. It doesn't even matter if he's a rookie or not. <laughs> We're talking about in the American League where, you know, a 3 ERA is something really special. He's got a 3.3. Uh, on these three guys we just talked about, I'm giving it to Luis Garcia, like you said. Wow. He's 
True. He's a true rookie. Rosarena with 25 games played in the postseason. I'm sorry, he's not a rookie anymore. Uh, Adalas Garcia, he's a nice player, but he's 28 years old. He got first got called up in 2017, four years ago. Uh, I'm going with Garcia on this one because what he's doing with that Astros pitching staff is pretty impressive. I agree. Right now, for, for as far as I'm concerned, I'm going with Garcia. And I think I could see the writers just going with the Rosarena because that's that's the name. And, and I hope they don't. Uh, nothing against Randy again, too. It's not his fault. Uh, but but he's had his glory, right? He had one of the best postseasons we've ever seen. So it's not it's not like it, this is some uh, sliding of him. Uh, he, he got to experience something I think a lot better than winning the rookie of the year, which is legitimately being the talk of baseball for months on end. One more guy I want to throw in here, and, and I think he's just outside of it. Uh, but Akil Badu. Akil Badu was a rule five draft pick. Uh, which you don't see often for offensive players because you got to put them up in the bigs right away. And generally you can't really hide those guys An arm. You can put them in the bullpen and, you know, put them out there and blow out games, eat those innings. But had never played above high a ball. He played 22 games in high a ball. That's it. So barely played above low a, but he was so toolsy that the Tigers are like, screw it. We'll try it. You know, it's a hundred thousand dollars. Let's see how he does uh, sink or swim. They throw him out there and he's done pretty darn well so far this season and he's hitting right now 267 but has an 800 ops 333 on base uh he swept 14 bags he's hit 10 home runs in a really difficult ballpark to go yard in, as we talked about in comerica but what really stands out to me with this guy and i don't know how much this matters but i mean in general it matters but i don't know how much it matters when it comes to these awards with runners in scoring position this year in 74 plate appearances he's hitting 379 with 35 driven in late and close He's hitting 400. Uh, basically, any big situation, two outs, runners in scoring position, he's hitting 407 with 18 driven in. It's just incredible to see what he's doing in those big spots for a Tigers team that's not going to make the playoffs, but is way more competitive than any of us thought uh, they would be. For a Rule 5 guy, does that storyline matter at all? Like that, That's got to be a little bit of something. I don't think he wins, but I just wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out there too. It's, you got to appreciate as somebody that was – underrated yourself coming up uh, a story like this one no that's that's a phenomenal story and no i don't think it's going to get him votes i think it's going to put him on the radar though and get him some votes it's not going to get first place votes i don't think he'll win uh with the numbers he's putting up this season which are coming out of a ball they're special i mean that's, yeah. that's amazing what he's doing and people are going to talk about him but like you said the tigers have no shot of doing anything postseason You've got a couple rookies, rookies, you know, you got a rookie that's not really rookie and a true rookie that playing for first place teams and having an impact. It's not like they're just having decent seasons on a good team. They are having key roles played in a first place team's season. That's who they're going to go with as far as rookie of the year. And I think it's going to be Garcia. So the last thing I wanted to wrap up with here is is someone you worked with a little bit when you were with uh, the Orioles briefly before COVID unfortunately shut that all down as you were well, it was hitting assistant, right? Is that what you were doing with the Orioles in, in training and in spring training? A little bit of everything. I was, I was kind of just up there as a uh, – I was up there for a week, and it was great to put on a uniform again and, and be back with some of the guys I still know in Baltimore and be on the field and uh, work with these guys. So I worked with the outfielders a little bit with the first baseman, saw the hitters, worked with, the, with, with them a little bit, but just there to, you know, try to help uh, teach them how to be big leaguers. Yeah, well, you'll be doing that a little bit at FIU, too, trying to help those guys get to, to professional baseball. But uh, for a comeback player of the year, 
don't think there's too much uh, of a dispute here. It's Trey Mancini, who by all accounts is is an absolute, uh, b- beyond what he's been doing on the field, uh, a great guy. I've, I've had the privilege to talk to him just once and, uh, you know, just so personable, took the time to to really just engage with me, which you know goes a long way. This was somebody that had just beat cancer at the time and was getting back into baseball. Uh, and, and to take that time, that meant a lot to me. And, and he already had a fan in me and, and even more so there. No disputing him. <laughs> He's going to be one, maybe one of the biggest runaways with an award in the history of baseball. Uh, but can you talk a little bit? I know it was brief because it was cut short, but a little bit about your takeaways from Trey Mancini as we wrap up here. Yeah, you know, Trey Mancini, you, 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 you identify guys on the teams or, or teammates that you've had, or you call them gamers, right? And it's like a gamer doesn't have to be the best player in the team or he just uh, a presence in the clubhouse. He knows how to play the game the right way. He's a leader. And you don't have to be a leader by screaming and yelling and throwing stuff or calling guys out, but just a leader the way your actions are, or how you lend uh, advice and help to your teammates. And even before the whole cancer thing, Trey Mancini was a gamer. That guy was kind of the heart and soul of that team. Everyone looked up to him. Everybody respects him. And now what he's done after facing such physical adversity and not only physical adversity, mental adversity, to to know that your body is going through that and to be able to – to get through it and not only get through it, but come back and prosper and, and still be an all-star and still electrify us in the home run derby. You know, that's just, uh, he's a special guy. He's a special guy that, that deserves anything that he's going to get any awards he's going to get. This is a slam dunk. Like you said, that there aren't even going to be, uh, one or more writers even think two seconds about this. They're going to write his name down immediately and, and give it to him. And he deserves every, he deserves it. Absolutely. And what's really amazing, too, is that the Orioles are a team that they could could have probably traded him and got a really nice return. He's affordable. He's controllable. You mentioned all the intangibles. He's put up great numbers. But it speaks volumes that the Orioles, they don't want to part with him. And he doesn't even really fit their timeline. He's already past 30 years old and uh, they don't want to. I I have a feeling that they'll probably try to keep him around forever if they can. And uh, again, that kind of speaks volumes to the kind of guy he is. And uh, that's an award that uh, you and I, we don't need to do too much analysis on, and it'll be nice to see him get that one because, uh, as you know, he he earned that. And and I think the biggest, you know, just kind of uh, flex of the muscles there was to do that home run derby. Like, not only am I back, I'm I'm going to show you how much I can hit and almost won it. I mean, no one was beating Alonzo, but to even get to that final, uh, that that was special, and to, I I, w- I was so happy to be able to see that. So, these are the awards. I'm going to write them all down. So don't think that you can escape this. And it's on record. Uh, we have our picks. Record, unfortunately, we come back <laughs> it's on record. This. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But uh, I think that we're pretty on point here, but you never know who can emerge. I loved the Joey Votto point out. I loved the Willie Adamas throw of the hat into the ring here. It's going to be fun down the stretch. And, uh, I think you're starting to make me like the Brewers as a World Series threat as well. If you look at a team that's really built for it, uh, I think that's a team that could be built for a title. And how about a subpar Christian Yelich so far this year? What if he really turns it on this this last month and a half and finds what he did for his two MVP seasons? I mean, uh, it's a scary team. It's a scary team because you've got not only three frontline starters, lights out starters, but you've got a, a powerful back end of the bullpen too that can shut anybody down. Brewers are going to be scary. It's a scary team to face in the postseason. So next time we talk, I want to break down the standings and see what you think as we get down the stretch here. I told you already, I made my case for the Reds. Uh, 
Can they dethrone the Padres here that are scuffling who just signed Jake Arrieta? And if you sign Jake Arrieta, in my opinion, you're that, that just describes vulnerability uh, given what Arrieta has been. So I'm interested to see what your takes are on both sides. Red Sox free falling a little bit. Uh, they've got game two of a doubleheader after we record this uh, with the Yankees. That's going to be close down the stretch. Blue Jays in the fold as well. Uh, So that'll be our next episode. We'll make some predictions on the division side of things and uh, some fun stories ahead as well. So that'll do it for this August 17th edition, the awards edition. Uh, We'll see who does better. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to do better than you do here, but we'll see how it goes. You have a little bit of experience. We both could go over. We don't even know for sure, but uh, I I thought we had some pretty good picks. I think so too. And and the beautiful thing is that there's so many choices this year, like you said, which makes it really fun. So it'll be fun down the stretch and I don't think it'll be decided until the final game. So uh, we'll be following up along the way and uh, we'll be talking playoff spots next episode. We'll revisit all this, I'm sure. And it's going to be fun to talk about the playoffs because they're going to be fun this year. I think so too. I think this is going to be as good a parody as we've seen. So that'll be next and great talking to you as always. And we probably got some guests on the horizon as well. We're shuffling it out. We got some stuff to look forward to. So plenty to look forward to on Outside the Box with Jeff Conine.